Well, this is lovely. I was here like 25 years ago with my, my, two of my sons, and uh, we were preaching in a conference in Holland, but we passed through London, and Pastor Colin Dye said, could you come and, and preach for us? I was a bit younger then. I was like 20. And uh, why are you laughing? That's so unkind. <laughs> You've changed. And... Uh, <laughs> it is uh, such a delight to be here with your new pastor. Like one year. What? Is that right, sir? Yeah. One year today. Lord, one year today. And I, I, I've only known Pastor Mark for 10 minutes, but uh, I loved every second. And uh, what a great man of God you've been given, huh? To lead your congregation, Mark and Kathy, two of the finest people on earth, and you got them here in Kensington Temple. Come on, give it up for Pastor Mark. A man, a man of God who's still on his feet at, at Pastor Mark's age is doing all right. Now, you need to know that he's five years younger than me. Kind of, right? You're seven years younger than me. I'm 70. I know what you're thinking. Wow, you look so good for 70. I know. It costs a lot of money to look this good, people. A lot of treatments, a lot of everything. Uh, I just keep myself in the pickle jar, you know, like anointing. Try and stay in the jar, people. And uh, you won't become a dried up old cucumber. You'll be a pickled one. Amen. Now, in some countries, the word pickled means drunk. I don't mean drunk. I mean pickled in the true sense of the word. But it is lovely to see you. 119 nationalities in this church. I think they must all be here tonight. I don't think there's one person from the same country here tonight. Amazing. I'm just so thrilled to be here in such a multinational, celebrating uh, black history Beautiful. The government of the early church was, the majority were black uh, people. Uh, I know that's interesting for some people. They didn't realize that. But the early church was, it was uh, founded on uh, multicultural, every, every nation under sun heard the sun heard the, heard the gospel when Peter stood up and started preaching. And so God made sure that every nation was going to be touched with the gospel, and then you all decide to congregate and come back to Kensington Temple. So it's, it's just wonderful to have you here. Uh, I've been in Alicante. Uh, you all know where that is in Spain. It's a holiday destination. But we went there to work. We had a conference, C3 conference, for, with all of our European churches. We have 14 regions in our movement at present. We're aiming for... Uh, we currently have about 120,000 people worshiping every weekend in our churches, and we, we, we are aiming for 1,000 churches and a million worshipers, and we're believing God that we can see that come into pass in the next few years. I feel like there's a surge happening all around the world. COVID is over. The church is alive. Jesus is moving. And there's a brand new surge that is happening in Jesus' name. Without a doubt, it's going to happen here in Kensington Temple. Your services are going to be packed out morning, noon, and night, every weekend in Jesus' name. People will be streaming through the doors, filling every seat, hungry for God. You've got a pastor who is full of the Holy Spirit, allowing the move of God, 
what could go wrong? I mean, it's going to be an, an absolute outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the hour in which we live. And I have no doubt that the fresh life that's coming into Kensington Temple this year is only going to increase and increase and increase in Jesus' name. For London City Church, is it? 19 churches around the, the city? 29. 29 churches around the city. All of you are going to experience a great move of God. As we'll see three. We're just, we're, we're, not, we're not up with you guys, but when we grow up, we want to be like you. And uh, we want to make sure that we can actually uh, reach multi-generational, multi-ethnicities and, uh, and see a whole great new move of God. Well, apparently Smith Wigglesworth preached in this church once upon a time. So I've got some stiff competition. Amen. And, uh, and he actually preached in the church I got born again in, in, in New Zealand. Uh, which is quite interesting. And uh, we saw, when I got born again, <clears throat> all the converts from when he preached there were still there. So they were all quite old people. Now, when I say old, I mean like really old, <laughs> like 300 years old. <laughs> I mean, the youth leader was 120. And so it was, it was a... And I was 19, and I was a hippie. And throughout my adult years, I had shorter hair, but I've started to grow it again just to try and feel young again without the marijuana. And, uh, <laughs> and so I <clears throat> walked into that, into that church, everybody very old, and uh, I'd never, never seen anything like that before. Most people have not been anywhere near a church like this. The churches they've had are weird. They, they just don't relate. It's people wearing Roman togas and music from the like mid dark ages and smells and all sorts of things. And there's no, it's like, how could that relate to me? But a church like this, it, it speaks to the deepest part of a person's world, their spirit. And they come and they feel the love of God. They feel the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and, and that is what so many are aching for out there. So any chance you get just to bring someone along, that will help. Help them, help the whole world. Just uh, make another step towards growing the church, strengthening human lives and, and changing people like our brother was sharing on the, on the screen. Just fantastic. I love that. love that story. And uh, so before I get underway, can I, I just talk to you about a couple of books um, that I've recently written. I've written about 25 of these things, and, and so some of them will come up on here. But uh, this uh, <clears throat> most recent book I wrote was called Disciple, and I, I wrote both of these books during COVID. I'm not sure. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Okay, so that, I'm a, I do art as well. I was going to be an artist before I became a preacher, but uh, then I became a preacher, and I didn't paint for about 30 years, and then... I felt like I should again. So <clears throat> I did that painting for a very prestigious art prize in, in Australia called the Archibald Art Prize. And I submitted it along with maybe, um, you know, a thousand other people. And I just need to tell you people, uh, I didn't win. <laughs> they didn't even hang it on the wall, for goodness sake. But what would they know, art critics? And uh, so I said, well, I'll stick it on my book. And uh, 
So now I've got it on my book. And I wanted to write about discipleship because I found when COVID came that it disrupted people's rhythms in life. And most particularly, it, it disrupted their church rhythm. And I found because it upset their church rhythm, it seemed to upset their Christianity. So a lot of them just started floating away from following Jesus and and just started getting involved in their old life. And I thought, you know, we can't afford to be preaching churchianity. We can't afford to be making churchians. We actually need to make disciples. People who follow Jesus, regardless of COVID or scandals or any other thing that happened, they've made a decision that they will follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have made a decision. I've decided I will follow Jesus. So that was one of the motivations I had. Another was seeing so many people who had lived in a consumeristic uh, Christianity where God was there for me. He'll, He'll heal me. He'll bless me. He'll give me a destiny. He's got gifts for me. He's got a plan for my life. That kind of aspiration, I'm aspiring to do something great and to be someone great. And yet it, it, it kind of seemed like when people couldn't get jobs or they lost jobs or lost money or, or kind of things happened that they were disappointed in God. But here's the thing. We need to move from where Jesus is our Savior. We've got to get beyond the cross. Now, for some people, that sounds like heresy. They go, like, what? But we do. Where He's saving us every week where He's healing us every week, where He's delivering us every week. We need to move from there, from having Him as Savior to where He's Lord. So it's not Him taking up His cross and laying down His life for me. It's me now taking up my cross and laying down my life for Him. So I get me out of the center of the equation. So I'm, I, He's not here for me. I'm here for Him. And for a lot of people, that is... That is the difficulty with their tithing. You know, it's like my money. It's not your money. It's his money. You get to keep 90%. He's pretty generous. It's like my life. It's not your life. It's his life. He's allowed. And, and so everything, I have given it to the Lord, an actual thing. And, and there are going to be things that, that kill you following Jesus. I don't know if somebody's told you that following Jesus is going to be easy, but they were lying that's an outright lie. It's, it's hard. No, it's not hard. It's impossible. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for like nearly 50 years, people. And there's a lot of idiots that you meet as a pastor. Oh, my God. The, the, and, and there are people who hurt you. I mean, I have people in our church saying, oh, I've been wounded in the church. I'm going to leave. I say, look, can I come too? <laughs> My God. And do you think, you think the pastor doesn't get beaten up and wounded? He's, he's got a target all over him. Let's fire a few at him. It's his fault. And so you've got to learn how to love people that you hate uh, and forgive people that you resent. I mean, my Lord. Nobody can hate like a Christian. They, when they hate, they really get into it, right? 
They feud. They just get all resentful and bitter and twisted. But somewhere along the line, you got to let it go. That's what a disciple does. A follower of Jesus says, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. And you could do that tonight and you'd probably get set free from something. It's, it's not easy, I got to admit, because you feel like you're the victim. That's unfair. They're getting set free. I'm, I'll wait until they apologize. But that's not the way the kingdom works. You forgive before they apologize. Anyway, that's, that's quite another mess, but all that's in the book. So, oh, it's gone. There's a QR code. There should be a QR code on that sign. If we could just poof, put it up again, that'd be great. And you can download it and get the ebook. I don't have any physical copies here. I think there'll be some up at the conference. Are you able to get it up? Maybe. Okay. So the next, the other book I wanted to talk about, which is important, uh, is a book called Do It Now. And do it now means do it now. Don't put it off. I've, I've met many people who put things off, waiting for perfect conditions. But you know, Solomon, wisest guy who's ever lived, he said, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. There it is. Do it now. All the other books are incredible too. They're amazing. Peace. Finally, you can buy peace. Uh, you the leader, Leadership 101. Freedom. That's how to get your demons out. And uh, how to get free, how to get set free, for sure. But, but that book, Do It Now, is, is a key to success. Because all you got to do is pay your bills when you get them rather than when they're due. Do the assignment when you get it. Pray for people right away when they say, could you pray for me? And, and when you are doing life in the now, God moves with you. Miracles happen, people. But if we keep putting things off, procrastinating, waiting for the perfect day, uh, it ain't going to happen. And I know young guys who have been going out with a girl for like five years. And I say, what are you doing? Get married quickly. Stop mucking around. Amen. Now, there was a sister saying amen down the back. And whoever the guy is, you get busy, son. Amen. Anybody say amen? amen? Good. All right. So this message is, I'm pretty excited about this message. This is, this is, uh, this is life changing. It's changed my life. So I'm hopeful it will, it will help you. Probably won't help the, the, the greatest saleswoman in, in Britain, but, but I hope it does help you a little bit. You will understand some of these principles here tonight, sister. And, uh, you know, before I get, before I get underway, uh, I, it's, it's just a delight to be in, in this congregation again and with your, your pastor and, and with the team here, uh, Ben. Ben's gone. Uh, there he is. Oh, Ben's talking. He's the CIA. And uh, <laughs> he's, uh, and, and just, to, just to know that <clears throat> you guys... Uh, this church has, like it's famous all around the world. This church is known everywhere. And, uh, and for me, you know, like, my Lord, you preach it, you speak it, and it can instant credibility, just like that, anywhere in the world. Because it is, it is like you have withstood the test of time and remained spirit-filled. 
There's a lot of spirit-filled churches that are no longer spirit-filled. They, uh, they don't even speak in tongues. They don't believe in miracles. They just got, got tired of, I don't know, believing or something. But this, what I'm talking about tonight is a platform for the miraculous, for God to move in your life. God responds to faith. Okay, so when you understand that God responds to faith, that helps everything. Because faith believes it's got something before it's got it. Faith sees things that can't be seen. And so when you are operating in faith, God starts to move with you. We think God responds to need. Oh God, I really need this. Oh, you've got to come through for me. He doesn't respond to that. When you say, God will meet my need, absolutely confident He's going to meet you and you prophesy it. You speak it in faith. That's what God moves on. When you, when you think urgency will make God move, God, you've got to do it now. If you don't do it by midnight tonight, I'm going to lose everything. You've got to come through. He, don't, he, he won't be manipulated like that. He's just going to say, God will move. In his time, it'll happen. I'm happy. Stay in faith. And, and, and God doesn't respond to threats. If you don't move on my life, what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, I'll backslide, I'll whatever. He, he might say promise. You can't, you can't maneuver God. Faith is what moves God. Believing His Word. So I'm going to talk about an element of that faith here in, in this message. 2 Peter 1, verse 1 to 8. Uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things. Okay, I want you to say this after me. Has given to us all things. things. Wow, that was so good. Normally I have to get people to repeat it three times before I even get some volume out of them. But you guys are right there, you're on. We'll do it one more time just, just just for sanctimonious sake. Amen. You ready? Has given to us all things. We just got to think about that for a minute. That pertain to life and godliness is what he says. God has given to us all things. Now you may be sitting there thinking tonight, well, I haven't got everything I need. But you have. You've already got it. It's already been bequeathed to you. It's in the will. You got to make a withdrawal on what he has deposited in your account. Most of the time, we're waiting for things to happen before we believe they've happened. But God wants you to believe it's happened before it's happened. There's a big difference between truth and facts. The facts are, you you haven't got this, this resource you are hoping for. But the truth is, you have. You're saying, where is it then? Your faith sees a thing that can't be seen. And as you keep seeing what cannot be seen and speaking of what you cannot yet feel, touch, taste, or see, you're operating in a realm of faith. I'm not talking about a realm of pretending. I'm talking a realm of where you know something in your spirit. Now, when I went the second time to my daughter's uh, uh, medical checkup because she was pregnant, 
my wife and I were sitting in the room and we were in the medical center and they put the, you know, the jelly on her belly. Now how they go like that. And then, and then they put the sonogram. It's not an Instagram. It's a sonogram over her belly like this. Up on the screen, there's this little baby inside this kind of radar screen. And you see this little, little life in there. You go, whoa, this is, this is great. Now, I couldn't see that baby. I couldn't touch it, feel it or anything. You could kind of see evidence that it was there, but the baby itself, you couldn't see. Now, here's the thing. Faith has already what is going to be born in the future. So if I came to you tonight and I start putting a sonogram over your spirit, what comes up on the screen? What do you got inside you about your future? Some people have got nothing. Some people have got a lot of negatives. They fear that they're going to have the same disease their father died of. They're fearing that their marriage is going to end up like their parents. They fear that this, and they've got these fears and images in their head. But you can displace that by intentionally putting a new image in there. Now you need to understand that fear will come to you uninvited. It will crash its way into your world without even saying, could I come in please? Just go boom, knock your head over. Suddenly your head's swimming with worry. You're anxious. You don't know what to do. You're confused. You're ringing up all the friends and you're taking pills and you're saying, what am I going to do? Or else you could intentionalize faith in your life. There's a switch somewhere in here that you can turn on. And I'd say to you, as soon as you switch that on, you're in a totally different zone. You've dragged the devil into your court. You can beat him there. When he drags you into anxiety wrestling ring, he's going to beat you every time. But you drag him over there and you say, hey, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to get a troubled mind. I'm not going to be tormented with fear. I'm going to start to believe God because God has not given to me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. Amen. And no weapon that is formed against me will prosper, thus says the Lord. No weapon. It will be. He doesn't say no weapon will be formed. There'll be weapons formed. Weapons of worry, weapons of anxiety, weapons of fear. But it's not going to prosper. If you take a hold of the Word of God and you speak it, Faith rises in your heart. The power of God comes on you and you scatter the enemy. That's how it works. That's God's therapeutic answer for yours and my life so that we actually enter into a zone where we believe that we already have everything we need for whatever God has called us to do, for whatever we're gonna face in life, that He's already supplied the answers out in front of us. And so I'm going to start with these three things here tonight. And it's one number, the things that God has given us is where we are. The second thing is what we have. And the third one is who we are. Okay, the first one, where we are. Proverbs 13 verse 23 says, much, ground, much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. 
So the person's poor. They haven't got any money. But they've got a lot of food. But it's in the ground. But it's in the fallow ground. Because they haven't worked the ground they've got. That thought that over there, if I wasn't living in London where it's so expensive, if I was living in, I don't know, Essex or Bath or somewhere else, Cheltenham, then maybe I could survive. Maybe if I went down into Spain where it's a bit cheaper or we just got out of here because where I am, I can't make it work. But God says, hey, there's a lot of food in your fallow ground. When I start to think everything else is over there and Instagram can make you think that. You can start to look at all the images of people on Facebook and think, oh, they've got it so good over there. No, they haven't. It's just as wrecked up as your life. But if I went to work my own ground, plow it up, dig it up, and put the seed in, the seed of the Word into my circumstances, I could actually bear fruit here. Right here. Some of you are thinking, maybe another church. Maybe another place. Why would you think that? God has planted you here. And if you plant yourself in the house of God, you will flourish in the courts of God, Psalm 92 says. If we're always thinking somewhere else, it's going to be better. Oh, I've passed it long enough to know. See, people who are pop plant Christians, like they come into church and they got wounded in a couple of other churches. You know, just, just got all messed up. And so they got a pop plant around their root system now. So they come. Now, I'll just sit here, worship, and let my leaves flutter around and be a nice little flower until, I know something's going something's gonna to blow up. Something's gonna, there it is. I'm off to another one. Break the pot. Break the pot. There's always going to be pain. You meet Sister Giraffe in the ark. Oh, God. Brother Rhinoceros. He's a brute. They're all inside the ark, but it beats being on the outside. And we grow through all of those experiences. If we keep shifting and moving, we never grow. We never develop a thing called, oh, it's so hard to say it. Oh, patience. Amen. Isn't that just the worst word in the whole Bible? Patience. Oh, Lord, I want patience and I want it now. I'm, I'm a reasonably patient guy. I'm lying. Uh, but you know, I, um, I'm, I'm pretty controlled in most circumstances. Reasonably anointed and controlled. But road rage. No, so I get triggered, people. I've got to admit, I'm, I'm fessing up. I just, you know, you know when uh, somebody honks, you're in the car, you don't, I know a lot of you don't even drive in London. You kind of walk. But if you're in the car, sometimes when you look down uh, just for a second and the light turns green, but you're looking down and you don't move. And then you look up, oh, it's green, but somebody behind you is so impatient and they, they honk. Now, you all know there's a honk language, don't you? There's, there's honk, 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 that's happy. You know, we, we won the Blitters Low Cup again. You know, like, honk, 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 we're on, we're on the ashes. Honk, 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 honk. You know, everybody's honking, they're happy. 
and it feels happy. But this honk is not a happy honk. It's the angry honk. It's honk. And it goes right through the back seat, right? It gets you. It just triggers you. I look up in the rear vision mirror. Hmm. No, I'm not going anywhere. So I get out the door. I go around the trunk. I pop the trunk. I pull out the crowbar. I'm smashing headlights. In my mind. (laughs) And then I look up. Oh, golly. It's a church person. Amen. (laughs) That's when it gets really bad. And then I remember I'm just driving into the church car park. (laughs) So the thing is, patience is, is one of those qualities that you've prayed for. And God is trying to develop it by putting some people around you that stretch it. And patience is like, you get to that light and you've still got a good attitude, but then it's two days late, five days late, it's too much pressure, and now you're getting upset. Now you're thinking of really evil consequences in your brain of what you're gonna do to that person. And so God is trying to make you get bigger because you see capacity or patience is the same word as capacity. Your patience tells you how much you can cope with. So as a pastor, I got to cope with problem comes in the front door, problem comes in the back door, side door, this door, comes in every which way. How long is it before I'm just going to blow up? Well, God is watching. And he said, I want to improve your capacity. What can you cope with? And what you can, because all of us want to have this big Mack truck destiny, but we've got a little Volkswagen motor. And it'll blow up if it tries to pull that load. So God is developing your capacity, your motor, what you can pull, what you can carry on your world. We all want the big thing, but He needs you to have a capacity to carry what we're, what we're seeking Him for. And so He's saying, like, be planted. In the house of God, don't let troubles or whatever. There's a lot of food here, but it's in the fallow ground of the poor. But if the ground gets worked, it'll become rich. You know, there was a guy called Saul who became Paul and he did a lot of great things. Do you know his greatest things that he did? He wrote some letters. And because of those letters that he wrote, millions of people have come to Jesus all around the world. The church has been built because of them. But they were written in the worst circumstances you could possibly imagine. He didn't go, oh, well, this is hopeless. What can I do now? I'll just give up. I'll just do nothing. No, he actually started writing letters to people. And now today we have them as Holy Scripture. I read the story a while back of a, of a dairy farmer in Minnesota, in America. And his brother told him, we need to go to Alaska because I've heard there's oil up there. We can discover all this oil and become rich. So he sells his farm, something like 300,000. It was a big farm. And, and then they go and they don't find any oil at all. For 20 years, they search for oil. The guy who bought his farm was bringing the cows across these planks that were on a swamp. And he wondered, what's this black oozy stuff in the swamp? 
So he had a geologist come out and they found it was oil. The guy had oil in his backyard and he sold the farm to go and look for oil somewhere else. All that you need, you have right where you are now. You may think, I don't I can't see it, I can't see it. Faith can see that God has given to me everything that pertains to my life and godliness in Jesus' name. I tell you, it is incredible when you start to believe that God has already given you all these things. Life will change for you. I better move. I got nine minutes left before it's 7.30. Are we okay? It's not too painful, is it? You know, I mean, you're coping. Are we all right, pastor? Nine minutes. I can do a lot in nine minutes. Okay. The second thing is what do we have? What do you have? You might think, I haven't got a lot. You don't need a lot. When the prophet came to the widow's house, the banker was coming to take away her two boys to sell them as slaves. It was legitimate to do that, to pay a bank debt. Her husband was a man of God. Her husband was a man of God. He'd borrowed a whole bunch of money. Then he died with no insurance. So the bank sold everything out of the house and now they were coming to take her two boys away and turn them into slaves. So she, in her problem, goes to the man of God. Always a good idea when you've got a problem to go to God rather than go from Him. Don't blame Him, seek Him. So, they, so she goes to the man of God and says, what will I do? He answers, what shall I do? That's a great way to work a miracle. Start with a question. What will I do, Lord? If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, what will I do? Don't say, oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to... Make him Lord and put him in control of your steps. What will I do, Lord? And he'll guide you. So he says, what have you got in the house? She says, i got nothing. Most of us think that whatever we have got is nothing. She says, i got nothing. Oh, i got the silly little flask of oil. i got a little flask of oil up on the seat. That's all i got. i got no stereo, got no refrigerator, got no freezer. They've sold everything. All I got is a little flask of oil. He said, that'll do. That'll do. Bring that. Go and borrow all the pots you can from all your neighbors and start pouring. She said, all right. She did it. Acted on the Word of God. Borrowed all the pots, started pouring. The oil kept coming out, out, out. She's going, where is it coming from? My God, it just kept coming out. So I'll keep pouring. As long as there were empty vessels, the oil kept pouring. Churches need to know this. As long as there are empty vessels in the house, the oil of the anointing will keep flowing for those empty vessels. Empty people mean the oil's going to keep flowing. So it's flowing into all these flasks. And then there was no more. Those boys, her sons, should have gone and got a Japanese super tanker because there would be a skeleton today still holding a jar and pouring oil into that big super tanker. It wouldn't have stopped. Our vision needs to be large because God can move with whatever our dream is. So she, she sold all the oil. The prophet said, sell it, live on the whole. She got a retirement fund out of that oil. She got a solution to a problem out of that. 
a while back in Kentucky, in America, there's this gentleman sitting on his porch. He'd just retired. He's rocking backwards and forwards, 65 years of age. And he was getting bored. And he thought, man, is this the end of my life? Is this all that's left for me? So he decided to make a list of 10 things that were valuable to his life. One of them was his mother's secret recipe for fried chicken. So he said, well, maybe I could cook my mother's chicken with these 13 herbs and spices down at the local restaurant. So he went down there and said, would you mind if we put this on the menu? And they said, sure. It became the most popular item on the menu. Everybody wanted this Kentucky fried chicken. And then he said, well, I'll go and start my own shop. And he did. Started his own shop. And there were lines of people outside. And then a few others said, could I have a shop like this? So he started a franchise. And all over the world now you have KFC. And a lot of chickens have died. (laughs) But it started for a man of 65 who just looked at what do I have in my hand? It might be the littlest thing you can think of. But you'd be surprised what God can do with a flask of oil, with a jawbone of an ass, with a sling and a stone, with a shepherd's staff. Moses split the sky, split the Red Sea with a stick. What you've got in your hands, you do not want to underestimate. God can take a hold of it and do anything with it. The last point, people here, is who we are. Who we are. So... There's a, there's a great story about a, a young man who's 15 years of age and uh, his father couldn't afford to feed him any longer. His name was William. And he was sent from the countryside into the city of New York where he scoured up soap from the side pavement and he made these little mounds of soap. He was originally an Englishman. His Family moved to Maryland. And he was making these cakes of soap on the side of the road and trying to sell them. And an old boat canal captain came by and said to him, son, if you give an honest pound, don't rip anybody off, tithe your money, attend a church, God will bless you. Someone in this city has to be the greatest soap maker. Why not you? So he got faith in himself. Now, friends, I don't know how many of you floss. Any of you floss? You know, you go, donk, donk, and this stuff come bing, bing out on the, if you haven't done it for a week, it stinks. You know, it's like, but you feel like you're cleaning your teeth, right? And then you, right. well, what's the name of that stuff that you're using? It's called Colgate, right? Well, that young man's name was William Colgate. That came from a boy who just believed that he could be the best soap maker in town when he was 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, on the pavement of New York making little cakes of soap out of nothing. Sometimes we think, oh, I didn't have an education. Oh, I haven't got the perfect circumstances. But God believes in you even when you don't. God spoke to Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go and speak to this nation. And he said, oh God, don't ask me, I'm too young. God said, do not say I'm too young. If I could say you can do it, you can do it. And God has got a plan 
for your world, for your life. All he wants you to do is stop believing that what you have in your hand is enough. That where you are is enough. That it isn't out in the future. It isn't somewhere else. And that who you are is enough. Nobody else has lived your life. You are unique. You've got a story that somebody else in this world needs. You've got something in your world that can be imparted to another person. God wants to use that to be a blessing to other people in this life. And he's put his hand on you to touch your world and to change things in your life. If you can reach out to God tonight and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to start accepting myself. I'm, I'm going to stop rejecting who I am. Why would I, why would I despise someone that God loves? Why would I reject somebody that God accepts? As you are, you're beautiful. And God just doesn't see you as you are now. He sees you as you are in the future. He can see you doing all kinds of amazing things. He wants you to catch that vision in your mind just the same.